Hello, my friends, Nigel here, and welcome to Backable, the podcast where we explore the top performance habits in both business and life. Today, our CEO, Tim Kutira, sits down with John Capon from Workplace Psychology Australia. John is a psychologist and workplace mental health strategist. He's got over 15 years experience working with organizations, teams, and individuals to help them to be well and thrive. In short, John works with clients to co-design and implement solutions that drive performance by protecting and enhancing the psychological health and well-being of their people. He holds a Master of Science, Industrial Organizational Psychology, and a Master of Applied Psychology in Sports Psychology. It's a really timely conversation given the new challenges we're all facing with remote working and mental health in the current climate. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for joining us and the catalyst being you did some really great work with our team and we had a chat and I'd like to talk about that in some more detail. But do you mind talking a little bit about yourself and what you do? Because I think I won't do it justice, the path you're on. And honestly, when we had our session together, not understanding the true value of what it is having a catalyst there to really bring out some of the, the things we're going to talk about today. Sure. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. Um, I'm a sort of an exercise psychologist. So in a nutshell, I work with teams, leaders and individuals to help them to, to be well and thrive and be that at work and sport, um, even in the community. Um, so for the last 15 or so years, I've worked with organizations in New Zealand, the UK, um, and then more recently here in Australia to help them to create I guess, systems processes um, and to equip their people with the skills and capabilities that they need to be, to be well and to perform to the best of their potential. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm very happy that our paths have crossed is because we obviously see or have an interest in the same thing, which is high performance in organizations and how to achieve that and also do that in a way that doesn't break people. You and I have had that conversation before around what is it that is high performance and people who love striving for high performance. The elephant in the room is obviously COVID. We'd love to be talking that. But what have you noticed in the area in terms of where you are? How are organizations and people going at the moment, do you feel? Jeez, that's a big question. It <laughs> will start yeah, easy. People, there's definitely an undertone, particularly here in Melbourne. People are over, I guess, the situation. And I don't think that's me um, telling anybody anything that they don't know, right? Like we're, all, we're all living this experience together and in our own way. But, you know, we're, what are we, six months in now? And I think the novelty is well and truly worn off. People are over Skype meetings, uh, Zoom yes. meetings, MS Teams and things like that. Um, people are done with the funny hats, the kind of the, the Zoom drinks or yep. coffees and things like that, right? So <laughs> I think people are worn out and tired. You know, even if I think about us as a family unit, you know, we've had our daughters home and we've been trying to juggle home and and work in the same space. Um, and it necessarily blurs boundaries and that takes a toll. You know, if I think about sort of the last couple of weeks for us in particular, my wife and I have been juggling trying to be productive and to do good work along with looking after these two loud and demanding rambunctious kind of toddlers, right? That um, they don't go away as much as I might try to um, avoid them or ignore them at times because there's other things that I need to be going, but they just get louder and more demanding until I give them that attention. So quite often that means that we're up until 11 or 12 doing work yeah, right. just so that we're in a great space for the next day. Um, so we can give them the attention that they need. John, if you had to personally calibrate with your wife a new dynamic, I was speaking to 
some friends and they were talking about it's a completely new dynamic shift in their intimate relationship because they've had to have conversations around new management styles. And I don't want to say that because it sounds very cold, but if you had to approach in personal life with your wife of how you're going to actually keep sanity and change that dynamic? Yes, uh, most definitely. And I think there were some teething problems along the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I've spoken to um, one of your team about that, that um, we, had to, we had to juggle that and we had to constantly check in to make sure that it was working, even just down to being able to find the time to meet our work commitments, uh, me trying to build and establish my own kind of business while Chloe's yeah. also working full time. Yeah. Look, I'd be lying if I said that we got it perfect from yeah. day one. We didn't. But I think it challenged us to to get better at communicating our needs yeah. uh, and where we were at. Um, do I think we'd probably come out of it stronger? Yeah, I do. Interesting, isn't it? We were laughing the other day, um, some friends of mine, because my wife, Alana, we've for the last decade been working together. So we get up at 5 a.m. for the gym. We're at the same gym, but we've literally been spending 24-7 together for 10 years. So this has almost been, oh, okay, we're at home instead of the office. But you see everyone else who's going through sort of that and you go, oh, yeah, that, that's probably why those stresses happened in different times. Like this is not normal. <laughs> mm. Oh, 100% it's not normal. Um, I, think it's, I think it's becoming a new normal. One of, the, one of the great things for me has been seeing how Chloe works and hearing how she works. Yeah. And I always knew she was competent and capable. Yeah. She's been very successful, but to actually hear it. Um, so Chloe works with um, retail. Um, she's a retail leasing executive. Yep. So she works for a large Australian company and she's responsible for finding and securing their sites, their stores. So through this whole process, she's obviously been working with their landlords to <laughs> she'd be renegotiate and to, to come to some, I guess, happy medium where hopefully everybody is coming out of this in an okay situation. But that's required so much in the way of, I guess, this negotiation and influencing skills that I knew she had, but I've never really heard it in practice. Well, maybe we use that as a jump off point to some of the work you did with our team. So we were lucky enough where John came in and had a group Zoom with our team. And we talked about some of the fundamentals that we probably think we did pretty well because we thought people were semi-happy, which they are, but actually digging under the surface and allowing people to get some things off their chest, not necessarily because of the business, but actually starting to open up how you're really feeling right now. And I think the thing that I'd really like to explore is you do this with a lot of businesses. But first of all, what do you think it is about the type of work you do that's needed in an organization? Because I think it is so undervalued, particularly in smaller companies. This would be such a foreign idea, this level of support for staff. Do you mind talking a little bit into that and what you've noticed by speaking to a lot of clients and the gaping hole that sits in particularly SME companies for this sort of work you do? Everyone's familiar with those statistics around mental health and well-being nowadays. You know that whole um, one in five Australians is likely to experience a mental illness in yeah. any given year, and it's a fascinating one because if we look at our organizations, even small teams, mm. and we kind of say we're reasonably diverse, we're representative of the Australian population, chances yeah. are it's going to impact us. Sooner or later, we're either going to be working with someone, um, experiencing ourselves, or managing someone who is experiencing and or living with, a, uh, I guess, a, a mental health condition or a mental illness. And I'm not taking away from the fact that those people need support to, to get well and to, I guess, to, to be able to perform the requirements of their job, but there's still the other four. And that's probably the space that I, that I work more in is how do we make sure that everybody can reach their full potential at work. So from my perspective, the way that I come at it from is 
there is a clear evidence base that links people being happy, healthy, and well to people being engaged, committed, and productive at work. Absolutely. So for me, the the lever to performance is the is the health and well-being side of things. It sort of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if we look at Olympic athletes or we look at people in any endeavor in life, there's a structure in place to make sure that they're supported in this area of their life, whether it's personal coaches, whether it's mental coaches, whether it's performance coaches, but there's this structure around people of the highest performance caliber in any endeavor. As people who are running business, you being one too, what, what should we be focused on, do you think, in times like these? In terms of supporting the team? Yeah. As someone who owns a business right now, this might be a foreign thing. What's the toe in the water? Because we've started with you, which is, hey, let's have a chat with our team and you'll facilitate the chat, which is a fantastic session to start the journey off. But some people, there's like, how do I even recognize whether my team needs this? Yeah, I I think there's something that comes before recognizing whether our team needs it and that's um, recognizing it in yourself. Yeah. So I think there's almost there's two priorities. There's there's myself, and then there's I guess there's others. Yeah. And it's cliche, but um, you know this whole idea of fitting your own oxygen mask before you help someone else. I don't think it's any more true in business than it is elsewhere, right? Like you're no good to anyone else if you're not in great shape yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that's selfish. I don't think it's egocentric. Um, you've got to be in a healthy and well place yourself. Um, before you can really help others to be well and thrive. You know, if I reflect on some of my experiences, um, we used to own and run a 24-hour gym. And when I think about the establishment, the setup, and trying to make that successful, um, I fell into that trap of focusing more on others and making sure that they had a great experience um, and that they had everything that they needed and I wasn't looking after myself. Yeah, right. And as a consequence, you know, the other people start to see that and it starts to become necessary thing it becomes toxic but yeah it can become quite challenging for everyone so i think the first thing is um, being able to look at yourself and make sure that you've got a great regime in place you know you talked about getting up at five o'clock every morning and, and going to the gym i mean so are you getting the exercise that you need are you getting the the sleep that yeah. your body needs to restore um and to recover both physically and, and mentally is your diet in a great shape are you starting to move towards bad food choices and is that an indication that you're experiencing stress and you're under pressure? And then what are your relationships like, both in terms of team, but then also more broadly? I mean, do you have those, those strong connections that are nourishing and supportive? Because we know that interpersonal support is going to be one of the greatest protective factors against stress. Um, so I guess if we're ticking off all of those things and we're in a great shape, then we're in a better position to be able to recognize when things are starting to impact on the team. Yeah. Or actually to be able to provide support. So, you know, we spoke about with your team, the whole idea that there's this, this wide range of factors that impact on whether or not someone can be well and thrive uh, and perform to the best of their ability at work. And only a few of those are really related to the job. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I want to take a step back into that selfishness first and then we'll pick that up because you're right. I think even the blurring of logistics now where a lot of people are at home, which is now their workplace and having to change that dynamic. Let's jump back because I want to talk about that selfishness because I, I think you picked up on something that I really also subscribe to. I think selfishness has been a word that's been misconstrued and particularly around business owners and leaders is selfishness doesn't need to be at the cost of others. And just to remind everyone, we're talking about high performance habits, which is selfishness is very important because selfishness is around protecting outside influences that will affect what you need to be in order to lead a high performance team. You must see it a lot where 
there's probably people in your life that aren't selfish enough. And you talked about your gym. If you look back at that experience, where should you have been more selfish? Uh, I owned a gym, but I spent a less time kind of moving weights, lifting weights, you know, like throwing iron around than I ever did before. It was, you know, I spent more time in the gym and less time working out. Yeah. And I think it is a real challenge. Like you're constantly in this space where you're like going, if I don't follow up that bad debtor, if I don't make sure that, you know, that person coming in the door is signed up, then the business is going to fall over. Yeah. So there was always something. There was a bathroom that needed to be cleaned or, you know, something that needed to be fixed, pamphlets that needed to be delivered. And it was, for me, kind of the biggest learning from that was um, valuing time yeah, and being able to kind of put, a, a, I guess, a cost on that time. But also protecting yourself, isn't it, John? I mean, it's we had the same experience. I owned a bunch of gyms 20 years ago and it was the same oh. thing. I was at stages during that business journey, as unfit as I've ever been in life, yet oh. I, had, I was basically in the gym 24-7. It wasn't mm. a 24-hour gym. I was just in there 24-7. Yeah. And it was the same thing, which was as owners, we always can find something else that needs to be done. But I think finding that line and, and as you were saying, you, you actually have to know what you need to have fulfilled before you can perform better because you'll always find another task. Mm-hmm. And in my case, a lot of it was busy work or that could have yeah. waited for the club manager's shift to start. Yeah. But I kind of felt this level of urgency or importance or maybe there was also trust issues, you know, that I kind of felt like it, it needed to be done and it needed to be done right. But it came at a personal cost. Yeah, I mean, we spend probably half our time with new clients, particularly in the performance consultancy around at some stage, you either have to trust others or this game's not for you. And I, mm-hmm. I'm sure you felt the same things, burnout, yeah. stress. Like, what am I paying people for if I'm not allowing them to even have a shot at doing their job? And that was kind of um, one of the things I was reflecting on in terms of, um, you know, ahead of this conversation was thinking about how do we build that trust or how do we create this kind of pathway or this roadmap where people can really perform to the highest level. Yeah. You know, like, and I, I love a model. Right? You've seen some of my stuff. I love yeah. a model. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of going through this whole sort of what, why, and how. Yeah. So what is kind of what is it that we're expecting people to do and have we given them real clarity around what it is that they need to do? Do they understand how their work impacts on the team? Yeah. You know, uh, so that's, that's almost your what. Your why is the purpose, the importance, and the, uh, I guess, the, um, the vision and the motivation. So we start to think about do they understand how it connects to the overall success of the organization? Do they understand how they'll be rewarded and recognized? Um, will they be praised you know, if things go well? And, you know, why is it that it's really important to, I guess, to the organization that this, this happens and that it's successful? That's the what and the why and the how becomes the do they have the technical knowledge, the skills and the abilities to do their job? Yeah. And how are they supported with the resources and the tools and the information and processes and procedures to be successful? I think it's a really interesting one, particularly in smaller businesses transitioning to more structured and bigger businesses. So going through that self-employed potential startup to starting to get a team in, you almost have to throw out the playbook that got you there and actually start thinking about that. Even some of those simple principles you just spoke about, does that person have a clear boundary of what success looks like in their job? (laughs) You've got Johnny who's doing this, a bit of this, a bit of this, a bit of this. And you're expecting them to perform well, yet they actually don't know what success looks like as the most basic level. And when we think about that in our own businesses, we're setting them up for failure. 
Yeah, no, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. And look, and I, and I think it's a massive. It is a massive transition. Um, geez, it's years ago now. I read Michael Gerber's Emith Mastery. Yep. You know, and how he kind of talks about that whole even in this startup phase that we need to think about how do we structure the business so that pretty much the person with the lowest come, I guess, set of skills can actually come and do that job or that task, perform that task. You know, so even if I think about the programs that I design and deliver now, I try to make sure that everything's laid out. I don't just have a slide deck, but I'll have talking notes and then I'll have handouts and it's and it's all laid out so that pretty much anybody can come in and pick it up and deliver that same product to the same high standard, which means there's more work for me in the startup <laughs> phase, but the replicability uh, and then hopefully scalability becomes more possible. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. if we jump back to the things you're speaking about, which is the businesses, we've got the selfishness in inverted commas, which is we need to know that we need to look after ourselves. We need to build ourselves up with what we need to perform best on the day. So we talk about this all the time, which is if you can't be in a peak mindset when you come in, you're already starting on the back foot. And that's easier said than done, obviously. But mm. can you talk a little bit about the factors that you specifically look at, but even just the breadth of things in your own life that you need to consider before you can mm. really then understand what you need to be at a peak performance and getting yourself as a leader of a company ready for every single day and obviously a a very long journey. So we're talking about kind of self-care strategies or principles, yeah, things that we need to do to, I guess, to nourish. Even some of the things that you consider, because you spoke about the relationships, which for some people I think would be Uh quite foreign, Mm. or health and fitness. I, I just think delving into those buckets a little bit because I think they're not valued highly enough because they're doing enough but not enough really to have any real impact yeah okay all right so um the model that i shared with your team is is based on the work of an american neuropsychologist um dr john arden and basically what he's done is he's collated research reviewed research and has compiled the evidence base that supports the link between five key everyday activities and the impact that they have on brain health and mental health and well-being. Yep. So we talked about, um, I guess, social connections, education, continuing to learn and grow, exercise, diet, and sleep. So if we start with, I guess, social connectedness, great one to start with because it is pretty much the most well-established protective factor against um, mental illness or poor mental health. So it's not necessarily about the quantity of connections. There's no magic number apart from to say that we need at least one solid relationship that um, I guess that we can rely on and that we devote time and effort to build and nourish and to support someone else. That's an important point, John. I want to just jump on that because a lot of people out there that I think would probably feel like they don't have a lot of close friends. I know in mm-hmm. business particularly, I speak to a lot of business owners and they say, you know what, to be honest with you, it's my intimate family that I have that. I've got some friends, but what are these close friends? And I think what you said is that nurture and nourish, it's actually something you have to invest in. Like this isn't, oh, I don't really have any really close friends. And then you look at what relationships outside your intimate family are you investing in? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because it's actually work to do there. Uh-huh. I look at myself I have been in the past poor of it. As soon as I get engaged in a business or a project, I can go missing. Mm. I don't think it's healthy, <laughs> but it's an investment, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, I reflect on work. I reflect on projects. I think, I think about having a, having a family yeah. and how you become consumed by particular activities. And, it, and often it's at the expense of these other things that are, that are really important because, and particularly relationships, because we rely on them. 
and others, I guess, are relying on us as well to, to be supported and to be well. Yeah. So 100%, I think you're right that every day we need to be doing something to build and nourish and sustain those relationships. I had a client actually call me the other week and we were talking about it and they said, everything's okay, but I know my staff are looking for answers from me and uh-huh. they've got their own challenges at home and they're like, I am not equipped. And I said, I'm speaking to John next week. Just hold on. (laughs) I'll ask him the question. But where do you begin? Because I think a lot of business owners want to give their staff answers and guidance when there isn't any right now. And Mm. they didn't even know how to have a conversation that allows the staff member to express themselves because the dynamic shift, it's gone from completely professional relationship to these people need some help some support, Mm -hmm. some discussion. And you're, I think, exceptionally good at opening those type of conversations. Where do you start as a business person who wants to maybe have a, I don't want to say deeper conversation, but you want to allow your team to be able to express themselves in potentially areas that they've never discussed before? Yeah, it's a fascinating one. I always talk about it being as much what you do as what you say. Yeah, right. Um, I think it's a really good starting point. And uh, I guess the client that you spoke about, there's something really strong and really great in terms of there's already this genuine care and concern for yep. the well-being of their team. And I think that puts them on it's a great foundation. So from the what do I do, um, how do I demonstrate on an ongoing basis that care and concern? You know, am I regularly inquiring about well-being as much as I'm inquiring about what's on your to-do list? Yeah. Um, and are we actually inquiring and curious about getting to know them outside work? Not yeah. necessarily being intrusive or invasive because some people are more private, but just knowing what's in their life. Do yeah. they live alone? Um, do they have cats? Do they have a family? <laughs> And getting to know their tempo, does that make sense? You know, like if someone is always kind of like me, um, talking about their kids and then all of a sudden someone stops talking about their kids, is that an indication that something's not in such a great place at home? I don't know. Um, or maybe it's an indication that our rapport and our relationship's gone downhill because John stops talking about the kids. So I think as a starting point, that genuine care and concern's fantastic. And then it's how do we... I guess, how do we articulate that genuine care and concern on an ongoing basis? Because that's going to give us a better opportunity to notice when things have changed. But then also that there's already a trust and a rapport there that when I actually say, hey, Tim, I've noticed some stuff that's kind of a little bit out of character. I just really want to check in and see how you're going. Tim doesn't kind of go, oh, John's coming at me about performance again. Does that make sense? (laughs) Totally. Because if if we only ever talk about performance and what's on the to-do list, that's such a foreign concept to then start talking about, um, I guess, your well-being and, and what's going on in your personal life and to disconnect that from the performance. It's such a big challenge, isn't it? I mean, because that's a dynamic that I think all of us in the human journey mm-hmm. are sort of battling with just in terms of getting older, getting more experienced, having mm-hmm. other things that become a priority. But it's such an interesting balance, isn't it? Because I mean, a lot of people look at intimate relationships with their staff, not intimate, but just close relationships on a personal level, but they don't see how that has a benefit to performance. And I think that's a good thing for us to talk about you still can have high performance by having a relationship. In fact, some of the best high-performing teams that I've seen, actually, they all feel like a family. Yeah, there's a level of, I guess, cohesion and unity that comes from, I guess, the strength of those relationships. 
yeah. um, that can contribute to the performance. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be just professional means cold or cutthroat. Hmm. I mean, when you look around and peek under the hoods of many of these businesses, if you were to go in now and said, I needed to set up a high-performance team, where would you begin from the psychology of those structures? Where do you think a lot of businesses are missing the point? I don't know that it's necessarily a psychology piece, but I love the idea of being able to clearly understand what the demands of the role are. Yep. Not just an individual role, but what is a team trying to achieve and what are the situations that they're going to encounter that's going to require, I guess, um, particular, call it mental fitness, yep. skills, capabilities, so that we can then match that to the individual and, and or, I guess, to help them to develop those qualities. Um, so I think that's probably the, the starting point, you know, being able to kind of create, call it a performance profile, you know, around what are the mental skills and qualities that someone's going to need and then to be able to benchmark someone against that and to identify strengths, but also gaps that we might need to build into whatever coaching or development that we, that we offer that individual. You must go through an interesting time running your own business, growing your own business and having transition. How do you apply the things you know you need to when you're so close to it. It must be a really interesting thing. You know the things that you personally need to do for performance, but it's the second thing when it's on you. Have you had those moments of breakthrough where you're sitting there going, I know what I need to do, but I'm not quite sure I'm there yet. How do you deal with that gap? Because I think a lot of us are aware of some of these principles and certainly not in the depth that we need to know them from your specialty, but we almost feel like it's just out of reach. How do you do it? How do you keep revisiting these things and growing them? Yeah, to do as I say, not as I do, Sam. <laughs> no, sorry to mean to throw you under the bus there, but it's all of us, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a massive challenge though, right? Like because I play with the evidence base, um, I present on these things and sometimes, and so I know the evidence and I know everything that yeah. should be in place. And then quite often I'll be sitting at home going, geez, where's my focus been today? <laughs> I, I love mindfulness, you know, this whole idea of being present and um, in the moment without necessarily doing, I guess, to be judgmental. You know, just accepting of what it is and then tuning into where it is that I need to be. And maybe an hour will go past and I'll kind of go, whew. <laughs> I think for me personally, um, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Knowing what it is and, and doing it at the same time can be challenging. But I, so say for instance, from that self-care stuff of what we were talking about, um, yep. I've got a book here. The bottom of my to-do list has those five areas and I've just got it down in terms of social exercise, um, education, diet, sleep, and I rate myself out of five. Yeah, right. Monday and Tuesday was exercise and education that were kind of, I guess, the, the two things for me that came out that I need to do more in. So it's how do I, um, how do I get more exercise in the day? So today I need to take the girls for a run and put them on scooters, right? Like (laughs) I need to run, right? So I've got to find ways to work that into my day. Yeah. Time with my daughters, which nourishes my relationship with them, but also gives me the opportunity to get out and get exercise because we know that that's so important from a, um, I guess, an endorphin and a stress relief perspective. So, John, do you think balance Mm -hmm. is possible in high performance? I like the way you operate, which is you put the things in buckets, you review them and you have triggers to make sure that you're getting enough of it. But I mean, should we be striving for balance or is that a, at a period of time we should look for it? Or do you believe that we should be balanced during the journey? Because I, I know I'm not a very good balanced person. I think if anything, I'm probably of the extreme end of, I'll probably nourish two of my buckets and mm. other three will have maybe even say complete neglect <laughs> at times. Is balance possible? Oh, 
long term, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> the key thing for me is the awareness. Yep. Right. Like if I'm if I'm constantly monitoring that, if I've got that model and I can sort of go, where's my relationships at? You know, even even at home. Um, you know, like we get to the point where the girls are stir crazy. Um, we're trying to carve up our time and energy between work and, and those girls. And then that means that Chloe and I kind of, once those girls have gone to bed, we quickly eat some food and then we're doing work or in front of a computer again. You know, we're yeah. hardly nourishing our relationships. So even then, if it's like, you know, can we just kind of slow down once they go to bed? Let's just sit and enjoy our dinner before we go and do that and actually kind of reconnect. Yeah. That's one way that we can start to get that done. So it doesn't take that much more time. Uh, so I think the awareness piece is a really important stepping off point to be able to go, hey, where am I in this space? And am I still tracking okay? Because if yeah. I'm kind of going through that and I kind of go, yeah, you know what? I haven't been in the greatest of space. Maybe I do need to get a little bit more balance here or I don't have balance here, but I'm actually still in a great space. So I'm okay with that and because I'm so devoted to this project, but I'm, I'm still coping pretty well. And I'm still in a great space. So let's just keep checking in. And if I notice that changes, then I dial it up. Yeah, it's a really interesting point you bring up, which is you do feel more fulfilled if you understand where you're neglecting maybe some of the needs you'd want because it's a choice rather than why am I feeling like this and there's a hollowness around an area, but there's no answer to it. Whereas if I know I'm practically not doing this because I've chosen to invest in this area right now, there's almost a peacefulness around that because it's like it's planned. (laughs) This is a strategy, not just an unknown reaction to why is my life spiraling out of control? You know, (laughs) I love some of the work that Viktor Frankl, you know, the Holocaust survivor, and or he talked about um, stimulus and response. You know, we encounter events and we behave in particular ways as a consequence of those events. And he talks about kind of increasing the space between stimulus and response to give yourself the power to choose, which is effectively what we're talking about here is the more we can foster awareness around the challenges and the demands that I'm facing and the thoughts and the emotions that come up for me, the better I can make choices around what I do as a consequence. Well, with that being said, let me ask you this question. Where have you felt most powerful in your life? Is there been a period where you felt the strongest? The strongest, I'm not, a, I, I'm not a massive fan of kind of strong. Okay. I think there's kind of all sorts of connotations that, yeah, that, that sure. come with that. Um, but if I, I flip it on its head and I kind of go, if I think about the, the times where I have been at my best, yeah. when I have, I guess, performed to the best of my ability, I would probably say uh, exercise. I'm going back probably six or seven years ago. I yeah. was in a really great space from an exercise perspective. I was training for a marathon. I was doing a lot of gym work. Cross training, but work was going really well as well. I was doing a lot of training, but I also was in a really great space mentally at work. It's interesting, isn't it, when you analyze it a little bit? Because I have the same periods that anytime I felt at my best, my exercise regime was always in check at that point Uh in my life. And it it, was it, it's chicken or egg. Was it because of it or? I won't harp on anymore. People are sick on this podcast to me talking about the importance of exercise, but it is very interesting, isn't it? It's always a partner of Mm. successful times. I mean, the other thing that I like to think about is when have I been challenged Mm. and when have I felt probably most alive is when I have been challenged, you know, like, and it starts to come towards that whole sort of, you know, like getting in the zone, being in flow, this balance between challenge and skill that kind of I'm not massively overextended. So say, for instance, if I think about snowboarding, I love snowboarding, but there are certain things that I know that just are beyond my capability (laughs) and my skill level. But when I am 
constantly learning, you know, I'm just a little bit outside my comfort zone, that's when I find things really click and I get in flow and I really kind of am able to really kind of just enjoy it and all of a sudden I'll snap out of it and I'll be like, oh my God, half the day's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it works, works the same when I am outside my comfort zone, but not massively overextended. You know, there's an element of challenge. I'll get through a day and I'll kind of go, wow, you know, that was a great day and I feel alive and I feel fulfilled and energized and I want to go again. So I think... There's two things we've really talked about there, isn't there? There's this exercise and how exercise seems to be part of feeling and being successful in other parts of our lives. But then also this being able to step outside our comfort zone on a regular basis so that we're continually challenging ourselves. And that seems for me personally to make me feel vital and alive. I think you've really drawn an interesting um, discussion there because exercise being the nature of doing work that challenges the body from a physiological point of view so you a good exercise (laughs) session is you're tired not sore and you've grown or improved in some way however that is whereas it's the same isn't it when we take those steps and had a fulfilling day we've actually challenged ourselves to do something uncomfortable the same analogy being exercise it's the challenge isn't it it is finding (laughs) that sweet spot of flow which is i'm challenged enough to enjoy the process of learning correct yeah, it almost becomes it's the act itself rather than, I guess, the outcome. Yeah. So all we have to do is insert that into all the members of our business. Yeah. <laughs> Simple. If only we could turn on and off flow those, I mean, that would be great, right? If you can bottle that, it would be quite amazing. Tell me, if you're walking into a business now with all that we've discussed, Where do you begin in terms of your area of expertise and where you start sniffing around? Because this is an area that's going to not only become more prominent for all businesses, especially with what I would consider a dynamic world at the moment, a lot of change happening. Mm -hmm. You need to understand some of these skills. So if it's something you've never had to address because you've been a traditional business, people like John can actually start facilitating the right type of conversations. If at worst, all it does is allow other people to express how they're feeling. It doesn't mean we have to have the answers, does it, John? The first step is actually to work out where we are. And when you first go into an organization, is that where you begin? 100%. Yeah, feeling and and I guess how they're traveling. I think I did it with your team. Uh, We talked about what are the sources of stress in your work? Yeah. Um, What are the sources of stress that you're currently encountering? And then we start to build that around uh, an evidence-based model, which for me becomes diagnostic because it lets me know what levers we need to pull to effectively support the team. You know, so we kind of talked about how people traveling at home and how does work impact on people's ability to meet their commitments outside work. You know, we don't obviously have an obligation to help people solve those problems at home, but we need to make sure that we're not having an impact. Yeah. You know, we're not worsening or exacerbating things that are happening at home. But then there's the design of their work. We talked about that, what, that, why, that, how. But then there are, I guess, characteristics of a job that can um, can also kind of create stress that can have, a, I guess, an adverse impact on people's mental health and well-being as well. To, and we've talked about it a little bit, teams and, and how teams work and function together. Yeah. So the quality of the support that's on offer, the interpersonal relationships, the availability of managerial or leadership support, and then also organisational factors like change and uncertainty and how we recognize and reward performance, how we identify and nurture talent, our organizational culture. Even if it is a high-performance culture, can it be um, supportive and protective of people's mental health and well-being at the same time? And it kind of seems like sometimes people sort of say that they're trade-offs and clearly the evidence demonstrates that they're not. They're contributory. For me, that's, that's always the starting point is what are the sources of stress? 
because a lot of the time when I'm asked to, to work with people, it's because they want people to be more resilient. You know, so I, I, I want to have a chat to you about resilience and whether or not you offer resilience programs. Oh, okay. Tell me about why your staff need to be more resilient. Tell me about what's happening for them that makes you think that they need to be more resilient because nine times out of 10 is things that we can do that actually are going to address those problems, yeah. which reduces the requirement for people to be more resilient because it kind of implies that we're putting them under stress. I really like that. I mean, because our, our philosophy personally with our company is we just want to have an environment where people can be the best of their ability in that environment. So what does that environment mm-hmm. need to give from a stress point of view, from a learning point of view, whatever they need? I think that's the key, isn't it? Creating an ecosystem that people come into an environment and they can find things to latch onto that will give them what they need to get the most out of themselves and obviously as a byproduct perform better for a business. But I don't think a lot of businesses think like that because they are sort of, well, this is the way we've been successful in the past, so this is the way it is. We're not in that world anymore. I think that's a really good point. I was just reflecting on that whole um, conversation about stress and I think it is important to sort of say that I guess stress isn't necessarily bad. Mm. You know, I, I've kind of just been reflecting on this whole conversation that we had and gone, the last message I'd hope business owners don't take away that stress is bad and that we should be making sure that people don't have any stress. Yeah. You know, I think people need to be challenged and people need to, to be stretched. And that kind of comes back to that conversation about flow as well. It's just that we need to make sure that it's manageable and we're not unnecessarily exposing them to, I guess, to stress. Does that make sense? It makes a hell of a lot of sense because I'm reflecting on it too. And I'm I'm thinking back when I was younger, I was playing in some sort of elite junior sporting teams. And I was explaining this to our team once upon a time. And this was just before getting to professional leads where everyone has a dream to play professional sport. But when you're in these training groups, you've been selected as the chosen ones to see if you can make it on a professional league. You're actually very friendly with the people in your team, but all of us are there to destroy the other person's dream. One of us is going to take this position. And I I don't think a lot of people are exposed. I was lucky enough to have that all through my teens, which is I'm with people I really enjoy and they're friends and we're teammates. But my job is actually to make sure you don't get your dream because that means you've taken mine away. So it's cutthroat, highly competitive, but it got the most out of each other. And I think business can be cutthroat at times, but it's an important thing to understand that stress can increase performance. It can get more out of people. It can make actually the game more enjoyable because there are stakes in it and not in a way that hurts or crushes people. But I think there is something in that, particularly when we're focused on high performance, there has to be stakes or it doesn't feel the right level of, I guess, pressure. I don't want to use the wrong words, but I I really feel there's something in that, John. You actually have to curate a level of, we'll call it stress, want for a better word, to get max performance out. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, I think the, the stress response is, I guess, is what's triggered by the challenges and the demands and the situations that we face. And if I think about it from an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense. It was about preparing our body to fight or to run away. So for me, stress is about how is it preparing my body to perform? Yeah, I like that. And as long as those challenges and those demands are manageable, then I should be in a pretty good space. But once once it gets to a point where those demands become overwhelming, then I guess the stress response goes into overdrive. 
and yeah. it starts to have a detrimental effect on performance. Yeah. So I guess the challenge for us individually and then for teams or for the teams that we lead is to understand what are those kind of optimum levels of challenge and demand for the people around us and how do we constantly monitor those? Does yeah. that make sense? So again, we come back to that awareness piece around, um, you know, we talked about stress buckets just earlier and with your team, you know, how full is their bucket on an ongoing basis? Are they in their optimum zone or are they now operating a level above? And do we actually foresee that coming down in the near future or is it going to be sustained at high levels? In which case then we need to really ramp up that stuff we were talking about before from self-care and looking after yourself perspective. I really like that. I think that is probably the key to the whole conversation that we've had, which is I know for us, the relief around the conversation was not taking on everyone's stress on areas that we can't, knowing that we had an okay level of stress in our business, but there are these other factors that are making everything more difficult or more challenging for us personally. Like That's okay. We can deal with that now. How can we help if we should be helping? It's that knowing for us, we were then relieved of some of our anxieties and stress around what can we do for people we care for that work for us. But as long as they now have permission to use us as they need it, or if they get too overwhelmed, perhaps we can bring in some tools to help that. But it actually took the responsibility off us a bit, not the care, but the responsibility that we've checked in, we're comfortable, and now there's a two-way communication that we can now address it if factors change, which they will. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the key is the, the constantly checking in. You know, yeah. So we come back again to what we sort of said much earlier in the conversation around what's our relationship and our rapport and are we frequently discussing well-being and how we're traveling? Because the more often we're talking about it, the more comfortable people are going to feel. And if they genuinely believe that you're going to support them to continue to perform, then hopefully, hopefully we're in a better place where people are more likely to tell you something's not going well before it becomes, uh, I guess, an issue that really starts to impact on performance. Yeah. John, I, I think that's a great place to sort of um, wind up our conversation because I think for business owners out there listening, I think initially when people hear discussions around these sort of things, they think that it might be wishy-washy, but the reality is your company is losing so much performance by not having people happy motivated and engaged. And when you understand that on a true level, you see this as, if not the highest priority, is something you need to get right because it evolves as we get bigger. Smaller businesses can't have this bucket leaky. And if you can find a couple of people that can really find an environment that you create that they can perform well, I mean, it can transform your business really quickly. And I think for everyone listening to this podcast, to experience it will be something that will change the fundamental way you manage and set up your organizations. Couldn't agree more. John, thanks very much. We love the work you've been doing and we'll continue to do with our team, but also look for John's details below. You'll see him in some of our networks, but really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for your uh, time, John. Really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me, Tim. It's been, it's been fun. Thank you. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for listening. And thank you to John for taking the time to talk with us about this very important issue. You can reach out to John via the contact links in the description below. And of course, you can head on over to backable.ai to access all the downloadables we've put together. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Backable and Philodomo, then make sure to join our Facebook group and follow us on one or all of the platforms you can find below. As always, if you have enjoyed this week's podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review. That's all from us for now. Have a great week and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye.